With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing. The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And it shows them pearly white Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe And it keeps it out of sight So welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take with me, Andy Clark and Matt Macklin. Hope everybody is well. Macklin, how are you? Not spoken too much this week. Anything strange or startling? No, not really. Been pretty busy. Uh... But uh, all good. Yeah, no good. No, me too. Lovely sunny day down here in London. Had an exciting trip to the uh, supermarket, to Tesco's this morning. That, that's been pretty much a highlight of my day so far. So you've got, you've got a low bar to beat here, chaps, I have to say. You know, I'm, I'm very hopeful that this is, this is going to supersede that. It's been the most interesting thing I've done so far today. I was at a great fight on Friday night, though. A couple of great fights, I have to say. Down at York Hall, two area title fights one by Jordan Perkis and Martin McDonough with a, with a last round knockout, which was, which was unbelievable. Um, and this weekend, smaller hall boxing's got quite a bit of attention, actually, because there hasn't been as much, there haven't really been any big cards in the, in the UK. Um, we've got a huge one coming up this week, of course, with Eubank against Ben, which, which is massive for us. It's not of any great kind of global significance, but it's the zone's first what you would describe as their first UK pay-per-view, basically. So that's kind of interesting in itself. And and TV is pretty much what we're going to be um, talking about today. We're not going to be doing breakdowns of individual broadcast teams. Um, I mean, we could we could do that and just give each other brilliant write-ups, Macklin. You know, that wouldn't be, you know, I've heard worse ideas. But it's not it's not that way it oriented this one. But but you'll see when we get into it. Um so to today's to today's guest, or oh, actually, just just before that, you may have noticed on the pod that a, the odd advert has, has slipped in every now and again. I've signed us up to some adverts on the platform that we that we are on, um, which brings us a kind of small financial uh, reward, which 
covers our fairly minimal costs, really. Um, and the reason I mention it is that the adverts they've offered us are kind of interesting. Um, I've accepted them all so far. Mainly they've been sporting. One has been men's mental health. And then on Saturday, I got asked to accept one, uh, a swingers podcast. And I just thought, well, why not? You know, we're, we're, we're a broad church on Macklin's take. You know, we're adventurous, we're liberal, we're open-minded. And then off the back of that today, I got asked to accept one based around polygamy um, and polygyny. So multiple partners and what I'm assuming is multiple children via multiple partners. So I clicked accept on that one as well. Um, so don't be surprised if you hear the odd thing pop up where you think to yourself, hmm, I wasn't really expecting that because, uh, yeah, that's down to me. I'm not running it past committee. I'm just making an executive decision on the spot. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, and enough of that. on me. Advertising content, if I may. Well, you just heard the voice come in there, and that is the voice of today's guest. Um, we've got Boxing Royalty with us today, uh, one of the finest fight scribes in the business, has been for a really long time, and somebody I unexpectedly bumped into at York Hall a couple of Fridays ago when I was working on Denzel Bentley against Marcus Morrison. I looked across the ring, and it was one of those situations where you see someone and you think, that's, and in this case, Thomas Hauser. But I had to look twice because I wasn't really expecting to see him. Seeing him ringside is not unexpected, but seeing him at York Hall was quite unexpected. So I wheeled over the other side for a quick chat and it was, in fact, the man himself. So, Thomas, first question, just let our listeners know what, what brought you to York Hall and, and how did you like it? I had a great time. I went over to your call partly for some business, for, for some, some fight work, partly to see a woman. And while I was there, uh, I went to your call. I'd only been to the fights in England once before, actually. Uh, 20 years ago, I saw Ricky Hatton fight Justin Roselle at Wembley Conference Center. And I still remember the energy in the room, the excitement of Ricky Hatton's Blue Moon entrance. Your call is something very different, obviously. Wembley Conference Center was quite sterile. This is a great, great atmosphere. Frank Warren actually promoted both fights. Uh, the card on September 16th, I guess it was, was a good one. Uh, there were some unexpected outcomes, a couple of very, very good fights. Uh, the crowd was great. Uh, uh, Tris Dixon, uh, the very fine British boxing writer said to me once, if you're a boxing fan and you have a bucket list, your call has to be on it. So I've checked that off my list. And, and also, you, I don't know what kind of difference this, this would have made to a, a, a viewing experience there, but the circumstances of you being there were pretty unique because you found yourself at your call watching boxing in London during a period of royal mourning. And I, I just, I can't, you know, that that's not going to happen again, is it? Not for, not for a long time anyway. That was an extraordinary part of the experience for me. Uh, Queen Elizabeth's passing got a lot of publicity, a lot of media attention in the United States. But of course, it was nothing compared to what was going on in the UK. And to be there to walk past Buckingham Palace, to walk past the crowds who were uh, lined up for hours and hours and hours to walk past her coffin at Westminster, to 
share that experience uh, with Brits was quite moving for me. And it gave me more of a feel for an appreciation of what Queen Elizabeth meant to the British people. And, you know, one of the things that, that, that struck me when I was there is she was on the throne for, what, uh, 70 years. Queen Victoria reigned for 63 years. So for 133 of the last 185 years, England has had a woman as its reigning monarch. And of course, that's not likely to happen again because absent some sort of unforeseen tragedy, you'll go from Charles to William to George. Who knows when uh, England will have a queen on the throne again? Yeah, it was a really interesting kind of week or so for all sorts of reasons. Me and Matt were were were, were together when the, the news came through that they hadn't actually announced it on the news, but there were lots of people in the building that we were in. It was the press conference, Caressa Shields, Savannah Marshall, lots of people in the building from major networks, and they get word that actually the, the news is unofficially that it's happened, but they haven't announced it yet and then there was all sorts of confusion about what would happen regarding boxing that weekend and and the weekend after and, and it, it was kind of you know unprecedented circumstances but but Matt just to go back to one thing Thomas said there the only other time he's been to the UK was for that bill at Wembley Conference Centre I was at that as well actually strangely enough so both bills that Thomas has been at in the UK he's had the great good fortune of me being there although he wasn't aware of it the first time but you were on that card weren't you you were on that yeah. card yeah, on the on the Ricky Hatson Justin Roussel uh, card, I actually ended up being the live float. Now, when you're the live float, I've been the live float. I was the live float after that, and it didn't work out well. I came on after the main event. The whole crowd had left, and you know, the, I'd been warming up for hours, and I was on, I wasn't on. So, you know, it can work against you being the, the live float. But on this particular occasion, it was my second pro fight. I'd won the, my pro debut with the first round knockout. And there was a stoppage and I was on. So I literally got the slots just before the main event. You know, it was before Christmas, big viewing figures on Sky. And I scored a spectacular first round knockout, if I do say so myself. It was it was a proper, it was probably the best knockout of my career, to be honest. It was literally a one punch, straight right hand, lights out. And uh, it, within the first minute and a half, and, uh, you know, I got interviewed ringside after. And I suppose then that kind of burst me onto the scene as a prospect. So, yeah, I remember that uh, that night, December, I think it was December 17th, 2001. And you were a welterweight at the time, as I recall. I was a welterweight. <laughs> With no hairs on my chest, barely hairs on my chin. <laughs> oh, and eight-ounce gloves. Yes. And Macarinelli was also on that card. Yeah, so, I think he was. That's right. Yes, so you had three noteworthy fighters that night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I remember yeah. it. I remember Frank it well. Was the man back then in the UK, Frank Warren was the man back then in the UK. Hey, hey, ki hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called The Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? 
I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital podcast coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go. Oh, he absolutely, he absolutely was. And that kind of segues us, you've done a really good job with that, Macklin, actually, because that kind of segues us neatly onto our main subject for the, uh, for the podcast, which is, it's a number of things, really, and we could almost do a 10-parter on this, but, but it's, we're not going to, don't worry. But um, it's about TV and individual networks and individual promoters and the treatment that the boxing fan is getting these days because on one level it seems great because there's so much boxing to watch on another level maybe not so great because it's quite splintered it's in lots of different places more so than ever and what that means is that generally you're going to be asked to pay more subscriptions and there's also the issue of pay-per-view which is particularly kind of relevant this week because we've got this Eubank Ben fight which is on design pay-per-view and as we all know, when the launch of Zone happened in 2018, you know, there was a lot of shaking of pitchforks and dancing around big bonfires made of televisions um, and the death of pay-per-view was declared. And Matt's laughing there. And, you know, people will think I'm being facetious because at the time I was working for Sky. But it's absolutely fine for us to have a bit of a laugh about that because that, that kind of is what happens. People changing their mind and changing their plans, you know, that's standard all over the world across any kind of industry. So we're not going to get on any horse in this race, not at all. We're looking for a, an objective overview of it, but that does not mean uh, that we cannot inject some uh, some humour into it into it at times. It's Thomas, do you think it's fair to say that things are more fractured now and more splintered and more kind of disparate than than they've ever been in terms of television networks? and promoters, and just the whole thing, really. Absolutely. I can speak to the United States much better than I can speak about the UK, because the United States is where I'm located. It's where I watch fights. And let's start with DAZN, which you mentioned. DAZN has been a disaster here in the United States. I gather it hasn't been too successful elsewhere, since the best indications are that... uh, Len Blavatnik, the uh, Ukrainian-born billionaire, multi-billionaire, who who, who at one point at least had close ties to Tutin, has lost between three and four billion dollars on DAZN so far. Uh, Now, not all of that has been boxing, but the boxing program in the United States has been a disaster. And uh, to me, the first mistake they made was the deal they made with Eddie Hearn. And I understand what happened. Eddie Hearn brought the people from DAZN to Joshua Klitschko at Wembley. It was a spectacular fight, 90,000 people, an incredible night for boxing. And Eddie said to the people at DAZN, I can do this for you in the United States, but he couldn't. It's a different market. And when DAZN gave, at the time, they said they were giving Eddie a billion dollars. Probably it was more like 125 million a year for two years. And then let's see what happens going forward. Now, that's still a huge amount of money. But what that did was right then and there, DAZN gave away its biggest bargaining chip. 
which is the date. And networks do that all the time. ESPN did it with Top Rank. Uh, it's, it's Fox and Showtime seem to have done that largely with Al Heyman and PBC. And that means that the network is no longer in a position of saying to different promoters, okay, bring me your best fight. And, you know, I'll take what I want and we'll find a fair price to pay for it. Now, DAZN might say when we started, uh, Al Heyman had contracts with these people and the spider had a contract with that promoter and we needed to do this. But the fact is DAZN said at the time they were in it for the long haul. They could have waited for some of these contracts, fighter contracts with promoters, promoter contracts with networks to expire. And they would have had the pick of the litter after that. They didn't do that. So in the United States, they've given us horribly disappointing fights by and large. Uh, the subscription numbers are so bad that they don't even announce what they are or give any indication. And let's face it, if you're doing well with subscriptions like ESPN Plus or Disney, you announce them. But the subscription numbers in the United States have not been good for design. They're hemorrhaging money. They abandoned their pledge to bring us the best fights for free. So now the fights that we were told would be free for a zone subscription cost extra. And more and more fans are abandoning the zone. They're certainly not uh, buying the pay-per-view fights and the numbers that were expected. Fewer people in the United States bought Canelo Golovkin 3, which I refer to as Canelo Golovkin Light, uh, that on pay-per-view then bought Canelo against Caleb Plant. You know, or, or that should tell you something right there. DAZN has, doesn't have a platform to sell pay-per-view. They've got themselves and nothing else. So it's very sad. Boxing fans are asked to pay more and more for less and less. <clears throat> One of the things we really miss here in the United States is HBO boxing, because when HBO boxing was at its peak, you saw the fights you really wanted to see. And you knew that Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford would be in a doubleheader on regular HBO, as it was called, uh, against credible, but but not elite opponents. And then in the next fight, they'd fight each other. Now we go round and round and round until fights pass their sell-by date. Look at the heavyweight division. The last time boxing had a unified, universally recognized heavyweight champion was Lennox Lewis. That was 20 years ago. I mean, can you imagine if it took the National Football League 20 years to organize a Super Bowl, or if 20 years had gone by since the last World Cup and what you call football, and we were still waiting for a World Cup, or if it took you 20 years and you still didn't have a new Wimbledon champion. I mean, this is what boxing's doing to itself on both sides of the Atlantic. It's all about the quick score, not working together, it's killing the sport. The sport now has an economic model where most people don't know who the champions are. Uh, it separates its flagship 
flagship events from the greatest number of viewers with this pay-per-view model. I mean, imagine if if people had to pay seventy nine ninety five to watch uh, Wimbledon on television, you know, or the British Open, you know, in, in golf. How many people would watch those events then? How popular would those sports be? It's a sad, sad situation. It's one of the reasons boxing today, at least in the United States, is a niche sport. Now, having said that, it seems to be much healthier in the UK, but it still has to be frustrating to be a boxing fan because you're not seeing the fights that you want to see. Um, I mean... It's not dissimilar over here, or it's getting to that point anyway. I mean, you've got, you know, Frank Warren's going well again with BT. He signed a lot of good, you know, not Olympians, but national champions. And he's brought, you know, they turned pro young, but he's got them to sort of 17, 18 and 0. You know, and they're ready to push on. They're winning domestic titles. They've, they've served their apprenticeship type thing. Um, but, you know, Eddie left Sky. He's gone over with the zone. You know, that was the worst kept secret in boxing. We knew it was happening. But Sky have really dug in. They've signed some fighters. And it, it, it's, it's, I mean, considering the size of the UK in comparison to the US, I'd say pound for pound, it, it's probably as fragmented. You know, it's, um, and, and, it, and it is hurting the sport because everyone wants to con- keep control. Everyone wants their, you, you, you kind of allude to the fact that no one, no TV network really has to go out and give an exclusive deal to a promoter. And I know in terms of logistics and getting things done, maybe that works better in some cases. So there's, there are some positives to it, but when you're, when, when the platforms, the power like HBO were back in the day, they can make sure they can almost force the best to fight the best because they don't, if you want to earn, I'm, you know, I boxed on HBO several times myself, Thomas, as you know, and, you know, ultimately, if you wanna, if your if your promoter that you're signed with does, be, he he's if you want to earn the most money, you have to fight on HBO. And HBO will say, okay, we'll we'll give you a date, but these are the three opponents we'll take. You know, and they'll they'll try and maneuver it whereby the best fights the best. I mean, Golovkin and uh, Tom Loeffler, like, you know, I don't know if. That could have happened without the support of HBO really backing him, believing in him and getting him out regularly. You know, and he, he played that game. He built up his profile and he got there in the end, as they say, cream rises to the top eventually. And he got his fights with Canelo, albeit a few years past when it should have happened the first time. But, you know, they promoted him, they kept him on. But that, that would have been impossible without the backing of HBO. And, and if, I think if things were as fragmented back then as they are now, I don't know if Golovkin would have been able to eventually force himself, get force people into the ring with him and, and get to that position. He may have been frozen out because he wasn't marquee. He wasn't the the, the, the big draw when he landed in the, the, the United States. He, he wasn't. Everyone in boxing knew he was the real deal. And, and probably that was half the reason why no one wanted to fight him. But because, but, but HBO... You know, they, they wanted the best. They wanted to be the, the premier network in boxing. They wanted to have the best fighters on their network. And they knew he was good. They believed in him. And they supported that the, the campaign whereby, you know, he built his name and got people in. But I don't know. what If, if, it, if that hadn't, if, hate, if that wasn't the, the television landscape 
back then and it was how it is now. I don't know if Golovkin would have been able to get there in spite of, if you know what I mean. Well, no, you're right. You just said it. HBO said, we'll give you the date, but these are the three fights we'll take. They didn't give up the bargaining chip. They didn't say, okay, you've got the date. Now you tell us who you want to fight. And if we come back and say we want somebody a little better, you say it's going to cost you more. The date is a huge bargaining chip. Now, you have a much more successful boxing scene in the UK and the United States. And one of the reasons for that is you have very strong regional loyalties. If a fighter comes out of Sheffield, you know, Manchester, Leeds, Liverpool, whatever, the local fan base tends to support that fighter. Whereas for the most part in the United States, that's not the case. And my sense is you also have club fights that, that are you know, certainly thriving much more than in the United States. Uh, and people here sometimes say, oh, television killed boxing because people can see the big fights on TV. So they're not going to the small club shows. But television didn't kill football in the United States. Television made football bigger than ever. Television doesn't kill a sport. Television spreads the message of the sport. Boxing has killed boxing here in the United States. Do you know what I think, sir? Possibly one of the, but I'm not sure how I feel about it. So, you know, back in the back in the day, even like the the eighties, the nineties, even the guys were, you know, Buddy McGirt, someone we all know. He. You know, he, he was world champion. I think he boxed, I don't know what year it was, but he, I think he boxed seven or eight times in that year. He stayed busy. He stayed sharp. Yeah, he put a few pounds on. He'd celebrate maybe the week after a fight, but he'd be back in the gym because he's boxing again in four or five weeks. So he always kept that fight fitness. He stayed sharp. And I thought, you know, going back to, you know, with the HBO kind of pay-per-view, when you were on that or you were boxing on H, regular HBO, because... You'd probably only get a couple of dates a year, you know. And if you want to earn X amount of money, you've got to be on HBO. And you know, if you don't, you you could take a say busy fight, I guess. But then, who do you fight? You know, do you, what if you get injured? What if you get beaten? What if you want to perform? You have a bad night and you get beaten. It that's going to affect your bargaining chips in terms of what you're going to get for your next purse. I was out for dinner last night with an old school friend, and he, he played rugby at a good level. And rugby's, you know, physical, high contact, a lot of injuries, concussions as well. And he was telling, we were talking and he was on about how the French system have got it so good because they only allow Johnny Sexton to play X amount of games. They will not allow him to play any more than that. And he's contracted. And if he plays for the Lions or he plays for Ireland, that comes off how many games he's allowed to play. So from, from a longevity point of view, it, it keeps the, the miles on the clock down. Uh, and he's playing, he's in his mid-30s now, I believe, and, and, and he's still playing at, at top level. So I did, I thought, I, I was thinking, while we were talking about the rugby, I was thinking about boxing, I was thinking, you know, I do believe that boxing twice a year is killing boxers. I think it's killing the sport a little bit. It's killing your, 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 your recognition, but, but the sharpness and keeping your weight down and, you know, you get up to no good in between fights a lot of the time. So, it, being busy is a good thing, being active, keeping the momentum going. But then, you know, but then it's like, but, but, but fighting more regularly means you're amassing more miles on the clock. 
it means there's more risk of injury. There's there's a higher probability of having an off night, and hence you could lose. And when you've worked so hard to get to a certain point, and you're up there, and you are earning X amount of money, it's sort of safer from a business point of view to maybe sit it out a little bit and wait for the right fight. But so what I'm trying to say is, but both one's counterproductive to the other as much as it's good as much as it's better for your performance to be busy from a business financial point of view it might be not as good to be as busy because you're you're amassing more miles on the clock and also more possibility of a loss or an injury and then you're not available for the big money fight so it's not a, it's not a, an absolute black and white situation is it no and i look i can't fight fighters for only fighting twice a year uh, and if it's funny, I remember Bernard Hopkins, who was the definition of a fighter who stayed in shape. And, and, and Bernard probably fought like twice a year uh, for the best years of his career. And I remember Bernard saying to me once, I don't see how those guys fought 8, 10, 12 times a year back in the day. I could never do that. So preparation for a fight is different now. Training camp is different now. In the old days when fighters, you know, the great fighters, we know who they were, but any fighters back there, when they fought, you know, 10 times a year, those fights, some of them were the equivalent of sparring sessions in the gym. They were against fighters who weren't expected to be competitive with them. Uh, what I have a problem with now is a guy fights once or twice a year and one or both of those fights against a non-competitive opponent and in so many of these fights now including fights that are that are put on pay-per-view to further bleed the fans the odds are 10 to 1 15 to 1 in the main event that tells you something the odds don't lie can you have upset sure andy ruiz beats uh, aj but uh a fight that looks competitive going in is much more likely to be yeah that's absolutely right and and that and that's why when people have this debate boxing fans what happens often is that the ufc will get mentioned you know as being the biggest promoter in mma ufc isn't mma in its entirety but they've done such a good job with the brand that people kind of think it is they think that ufc is is a sport when actually it's a it's a promotional company not not the actual sport and the the ethos there and and the perception of it is, I don't know enough about it to know whether that perception is reality, is that the best do fight the best and that the fans do get full value for money. So let's just say, because we're not experts on, on that area, you might be, Thomas, I'm speaking for myself and Macklin here, we're definitely not. Let's just say that that, generally speaking, is, you know, is true. Is it possible for that to be replicated in boxing. That's always been Eddie Hearn's kind of mission. He stated that to us on this very podcast. I kind of get the feeling that defeatist though it sounds, it's that fractured boxing that I'm not sure it really is possible. Well, Eddie has said that's his mission, but that's not what he's given us. Uh, and he's not the only one who has failed to give it to us. Look, I'm not a UFC guy, but I've been to a couple of UFC shows. I've written about them occasionally, Ronda Rousey and other fighters. And if you go to a UFC show, by the start of the second fight, 
the arena is 85, 90% full because the fans know they're going to get a competitive fights. Now, I went to a card, as you mentioned earlier, at your call in September. And yeah, the arena was 80% full very early on, and eventually they sold out. But you go to a big fight in Las Vegas, and halfway through the show, it's 15%, 20% full, because the undercard fights are showcase fights. They're let's get them a win fight. They're, they're not good, competitive, entertaining fights. And, and another thing about boxing and, and the economic model, and it's a huge problem, is that uh, here in the United States, at least, for the big fights, by and large, the fights are not generating the money necessary to cover the costs. You know, before it was fairly simple. You know, you sold tickets, you had either a television license fee or pay-per-view buys, you had sponsorships. And at the end of the day, it covered what was paid to the fighters, the costs of staging everything, and the promoter's profit. Now, for most significant fights, uh, and, and, and certainly for, for, for many of these large promoters, uh, the fights aren't generating the money to cover the costs. Somebody has to take a loss. Matchroom has made a lot of money over the last couple of years, but DAZN has lost a fortune on boxing. Uh, Al Heyman's investors for PBC lost a fortune on boxing. Uh, ESPN is paying a huge amount of money for top rank boxing. And I don't know that they're getting that back in terms of uh, sponsorships and, and advertisements for ESPN in terms of new subscriptions on ESPN+. Plus. It almost seems as though you need a pigeon to fund all this. And that doesn't make for a healthy sport. Boxing has got to start putting on better fights at all levels. It has to start giving the fans the fights that the fans want to see. And it isn't. And what's happening now also is that hype is replacing reality. Every time you have a fight card, you get press releases that say, oh, and we have a jam-packed blockbuster, massive undercard. No, let's be honest. The undercard on most of these uh, pay-per-view fights is terrible. Not all, but most. Uh, you know, and, and you see that again and again. The commentating on many networks is a problem because the commentators have become shills and they're not honest with the fans. One of the great things about HBO boxing you know, before the decline, but HBO boxing, particularly in the era of Seth Abraham, Lou DiBella, you know, that, that whole team, was you had commentators like Larry Merchant, who told it like it was. You had somebody like Jim Lampley, uh, who, to my way of thinking, is the greatest blow-by-blow commentator in the history of boxing. You know, <clears throat> Jim had this, um, in addition to his electric voice and his knowledge, Jim had the ability to take what was happening in front of him and synthesize it into seven, eight words, sound bites while it was happening, not, not two or three seconds later. And if a fight was terrible, Jim would say, 
this is terrible. You know, you don't have that candor anymore. In some instances, it's like the commentators are calling a fight from a pre-written script. And it's very hard for them to get off of that script and recount on what's really happening in front of them. And that runs across the board. It's a shame. It really is. Uh, there just aren't that many good people doing commentating anymore. There's some, yes, absolutely. Uh, but not as many as there once were. And they're not as valued. And they're told that you have to push a certain storyline. When Tyson Fury fought on ESPN, the days when he was fighting, what was it, Tom Schwartz, Otto Wallin, the ESPN people were told, you have to mention the phrase lineal heavyweight champion, you know, every so often. It, it's, it's part of the talk, you know, when Nico Ali Walsh, who's a nice young man, you know, fights on ESPN, you know, they, 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 they he, Nico is fighting. So his father will be remembered, his grandfather, excuse me, Nico is fighting. So his grandfather will be remembered. Well, you know, trust me, Muhammad Ali is going to be remembered whether or not Nico Ali Walsh fights. And that's not a knock on Nico. As I said, he's a nice young man. He's doing the best he can with the skills he has. But we're not getting honest commentary. We're not getting the fights we want. And uh, again, it's one reason boxing is a niche sport. So, Matt, I'll, I'll ask you a, a difficult one now. Um, it's interesting to hear your thoughts on, on, on commentary there, Thomas. It's not something that the Irish can really get too stuck into because I'm not into really criticising fellow practitioners and, and people will have their own thoughts on the way I do it, the way Matt does it. All I can say is from my point of view is I work for lots of different people. I always have, and although mainly Sky for a long time, and the most important thing by far is just to be honest. And that's really it. Uh, but it has got quite, it has got quite cult-like, I would say, in terms of the way some of the things you, you, you hear people say. Um, but Matt, the difficult question I'm going to ask you, and it might be quite hard for you to answer it, but we were talking about the HBO model earlier on. And Sky had an opportunity... Did they not? I always thought, and from talking to local promoters, smaller promoters this time last year and just before that when the relaunch was happening, what they were all really hoping was going to happen was that Sky would just say, okay, roll up, roll up, all, you know, hear ye, hear ye, all promoters. We'll work with anybody. You bring us a good fight. If we think it's a good enough fight, then you can get some dates, but they've got to be good enough. But anybody can get on this network if you bring us the required standard. And that's what they really wanted to happen. They wanted Sky to kind of HBO it, if you like. And they didn't. They chose to go with a new promoter and, and give all their dates to the one promoter. And you're smiling because it is hard for you to answer this. I know it is. But at the same time, I'm going to ask it anyway. It's, there, was, there was a chance. There was an opportunity I'm, there. I'm, I'm laughing because you know that when this was all going on, that this exactly I said what Sky should do. Yeah, you did. Yeah. The HBO <laughs> model. Why would they give their power away to one promoter? You know, they should just put it out there. We are open for business. If you're a boxing promoter and you come to us with a good main event and a good chief support, we'll go with that. 
you know, on, on a fight by fight basis. We don't need to sign. Sky didn't, I might be, didn't need to sign long term deals with anyone and give their power away to a promoter that's, you know, not proven or tested. You know, that said, if you'd have told us 12 months or just over 12 months ago when we thought boxing at Sky might not even be happening, that would be where we are today. You know, we'd have took, we'd, we'd have definitely took it. And I think it's been okay, you know, for, for a new promotional company to come back. That You know, they've, they've signed a few fighters. They've put some good shows on. I think February, February, the month of February, was a bit of a smoke and mirrors month in the sense that Khan Brook was a fright from years ago. Yesterday, I think they both realised they're at a point where they didn't really have any other options on the table and they were cashing out against each other. But it was a great event and it and actually was an entertaining fight by two fighters who were past, way past their best, but they were both past their best. So it was a level playing field to some degree in that regard. Then, you know, Josh Taylor, Catrell was a good fight, a good show, a great atmosphere, uh, controversial, but, you know, it was good. And then, um, you know, Eubank and, and Williams was a decent. So that was a really strong month. But I think if Sky had, I think we could have, it would have, it would have kept the power and adopted a, a more of a we're open for business to whoever wants to come to us. I think we there could have been more fights being made there. And, and, and to some degree, Sky would have been acting a little bit as a matchmaker like HBO did back in the day. We've got the date. And we'll give you the date if you fight X, Y, or Z. Not there's the date and come back to us in a few months and tell us who you're fighting. You know, keep you've got to to maintain power. You've got to maintain a certain level of control. On the, you know, you're ultimately he who pays the piper calls the tune. And if Kaya, if HBO are paying all this big money, they've got to say on what goes on. And you know, Sky. That was my feeling with Sky at the time. I thought it was good to bring top rank in and do the oversee rights with them because they've got a great stable and we put on, we want to, we want big time boxing. We want Lomachenko and Shakur and Valdez and these fights on, on the network. But of course at three o'clock in the morning, they don't rate the same as what a big domestic show will. But I think, you know, maybe, maybe it'll go back to that. Maybe they just thought that, look, we had an exclusive deal with Eddie Hearn and that was a great partnership, which it was. They, they did have 10 years of a great run with Matchroom. And previous to that, when they had the four promoters of Frank, you know, it was Frank Maloney, Frank Warren, uh, Matchroom, although it was John Wish, it was, this was before Eddie was on the scene, and uh, Hatton Promotions, they really got messed about. There was a lot of headaches, a lot of bullshit between different promoters and all this stuff. So it really lost its kind of mojo boxing had. And actually, when they did the exclusive deal with Eddie and they did less dates, same budget, but less dates, and, you know, went back to the Saturday nights, went back to the big arenas, you know, and, and re, rebirthed, there was the rebirth of the pay-per-view. You know, the O2 in London, they were bringing big fighters over, you know, Linares, the fight came in Mitchell, Mitchell. There was obviously a bit of a, a bit of luck as well in the fact that he had a perfect storm with the London Olympics in 2012. Anthony Joshua turning pro. So things did align for Eddie and Sky as well. But, you know, at that time, the exclusive deal worked. But I felt this time, you know, 18 months ago, an exclusive deal with an unproven pr promotional outfit was not necessary. But, you know, we can't live in the past. 
we're in the present and the last 12 months, you know, hasn't been bad. And they've signed some fighters. They've signed Ben Whitaker, you know, Fraser Clark, um, you know, Lauren Price. They've, they've really gone out there and grabbed the Olympian. So I think the future does look good. And maybe there's some adjustments and things need to be moved around a little bit. But, you know, you know, as Thomas said, when you've got the dates and you're the guy who's paying the money, you, you, you don't give that power away. You don't... Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, and then this is not like what we're talking about here is not a knock on boxer in any way, shape, or form. I, no, I, I think they've done well. I, I think, think they've, they've done, done pretty well. well. And, you know, I, I was out in Albania with them a few weeks ago. I've had a great time with them out there. So it's, it's just, it's not about who, who's who and what, or any of that. It's just, we're just talking broader terms. But, but Thomas is, you know, looking at that scenario there, which more, we're more familiar with than, than you with, with Sky in the UK. But looking, at it, you would imagine that the reason they didn't go the HBO route is because it's just too much trouble dealing with lots of different people. And is that another area where boxing doesn't do itself any favours? Because dealing with one promoter is a headache. Dealing with multiple promoters is multiple headaches every day. Yeah, but if you're dealing with one promoter and that promoter has an output deal, you've given the promoter a huge amount of power over you because you have to satisfy that promoter as much as that promoter has to satisfy you. If you're dealing with multiple multiple promoters, you can say to one of them, okay, look, I tried to make a deal with you. You weren't being reasonable. So we're gonna look someplace else. If boxing is a particularly contentious, litigious, industry with a lot of very, very difficult people. You know, I've said many times that uh, some of the best people I've met in my life are in boxing. Many of the worst people I've met in my life are in boxing. It is very, very difficult to navigate that terrain, as it is with most forms of entertainment, whether it's movies, music, let's not even get into politics. But one of the problems, as I see it, is too often, I'm not speaking to any one network now, you have people making the decisions who don't understand the sport or the business. They wouldn't be making some of these deals that they make. uh, I mean, some of these, you know, uh, there, there are fights that, yes, you'd make, but it's a fight you'd make, but it's not a deal that you would make, you know, or... The deal is okay, but the fight is bad. And again, here in the United States, the excuse me, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. The heavyweight championship was once the most coveted title in sports. The example I use is my mother, you know, who was not a sports fan by any stretch of the imagination, could have told you who the heavyweight champion of the world was. And it didn't have to be Joe Lewis or Rocky Marciano or Muhammad Ali. When she was young, people knew that James Braddock or Ingemar Johansson was the heavyweight champion. 
Now, if I go out on the street and ask 50 people, who's the heavyweight champion of the world? The answer I'll get most is, well, I, I don't think it's Mike Tyson. I mean, you know, how many people, you, you do it in, in, in England, which is, is much stronger in boxing than we are. You go out in the street and ask 50 people at random, who's the heavyweight champion of the world? How many of them do you think will say, well, Alexander Usyk has these three belts and Tyson Fury has that belt? I mean, people don't know anymore. They can tell you who won the World Cup. You know, they can tell you who won the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, there are too many champions. Uh, the best don't fight the best. Again, with all, I mean, with all the talk of what heavyweight unification fights were going to get, we're not getting them. Uh, and, and the sport is, is killing itself. But enough people are still putting money into it because of the romance of it and the feeling that boxing is an under, undervalued asset. That, that the people calling the shots can still make money for themselves short term, which is good for them, but it's not good for the overall health of the sport. Most healthy overall sports, uh, the rising tide you know, lifts all ships and the falling tide you know, brings all ships lower. That's not the case in boxing. So how, how do you think... Matt, how do you think we make the best of the situation that we've got, which is that we have got four sanctioning bodies. They're not going to go anywhere because there's money to be made. The idea that we could get back to the days where there's one recognised champion, I don't want to sound defeatist, but when I hear people say it, it kind of frustrates me a bit because it's just, how are we going to do that? It's not really... No, let me interrupt. I know you asked Matt, but let me interrupt if I can. And Matthew, then you can interrupt me and return later. But uh, a while ago, uh, I don't know, it could be now eight, nine years ago, I actually had what I thought was a reasonable solution for this. And it started with an experiment, uh, what I called the boxing industry poll. Uh, I would look at a division. Uh, let's say today, today's heavyweights. And I would make a list of the top 10 heavyweights in the world. Now, people could quibble about whether I left somebody who belonged out of the eight, nine, or 10 spot, whatever. But you knew if I'm going to list what I think are the best 10 heavyweights in the world, certainly the most deserving people are going to be on that list. You're going to have Tyson Fury, uh, AJ, Usyk, uh, Wilder, you probably put Dillian White on that list, Joe Joyce, Dubois. You know, you, 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 you can put together a credible list. Then I went to a group of people in the industry. And Matthew actually, for some of these polls, was one of the people I went to. But I went to like 36 people in the industry who really knew their stuff. Matchmakers who really do know their stuff. Uh, commentators, historians, you know, fighters, you know, people who know what they're talking about. And I asked the question, okay, if these 10 fighters all fought each other now, I'm not talking about what they did two years ago. I'm not talking about their potential for the future. If these 10 guys all fought each other now, who would win? So right away you have let's you have 45 fights. 
you have 10 guys, each of them has nine fights. You divide that in half, you have 45 fights. So your panel of experts are picking the results of 45 different fights. For each predicted win, a fighter gets one point. For a loss, they get nothing. If the elector says it's too close to call, they get half a point. So you have 45 fights, 36 electors. So you're talking about well over a thousand fight results. You add up the totals and those are your rankings. This fighter, and I assume if you did the heavyweights now, Tyson Fury is number one. Uh, I don't know if Wilder or Usyk would be number two. You know, AJ would probably be number four. You've gone down the line. Those are your rankings. And then forget about the belts. What we've got now is number one is fighting number four. You know, number one is fighting number three. And it doesn't have to be a championship fight. Not every fight has to be in a belt for a belt. Here in the United States, if you have a college football game with the number three team in the nation against the number seven team in the nation, that will get a huge viewership. I love the idea of those rankings. And I actually went to HBO and Showtime and ESPN, three main networks here that were involved with boxing at the time, and said, are you interested in using these rankings? We can do them for each major weight division. And they all said no for their different reasons. You know, uh, HBO didn't want to do it because Floyd Mayweather, who was with Showtime, was ranked higher than Pacquiao. Somebody else didn't want to do it because their guy wasn't high enough. You know, there us what the, the powers that be didn't want it. The powers that be want multiple champions. And it's short term. They want to be able to say this is for a title fight. This is a unification fight. Everything's a championship fight. It devalues the word champion. But to me, if you had credible rankings where people could say, okay, this guy is number one. That's the way you recapture the sports fans. Not by saying this fight is for the WBA interim heavyweight silver world championship. Matthew, I interrupted you. Actually, I didn't even interrupt you. I didn't give you a chance to start. So your turn. Well, I'm just going to jump in quickly before, before Matt does. Um, is... Actually, boxing news over here, um, as, as, as you'll, you'll know, Thomas, they've, they've kind of been the belts. They're doing their rankings based on on their own thoughts and in conjunction with TBRB. And, and their, Matt Christie's basically getting behind this idea that the belts are just getting in the way. What Thomas has just highlighted there, though, Matt, is what would be a really good system, but the obstacles he's facing or faced just kind of says it all, doesn't it? Because people don't, it's just self-interest. If TV bought into this and decided, right, this is how we're going to do it, then then it could work, couldn't it? It could Look, happen. It, but but it, they don't, you know, people, they it's short termism always. Yeah, I think I think there has to be. Look, the thing, the Ring magazine belt had a lot of kudos because it was seen as the most independent, you know, the least corrupted by money or influence and control. Because a sanctioning body, you know who's paying the most sanctioning fees, they have conventions, you know, not speaking out of turn here, but, you know, if you're with Frank Warren, 
he's going to get you a number one spot with the WBO. That's a, that's a fact. He's done it time and time again. He's got a great relationship with Paco. He uses the WBO intercontinental fights. You know, he spends money with them. He spends a lot of money with the WBO. So if their guy wins, he can't get anybody into number one spot. But as long as the guy is a good fighter and he keeps winning, he will get to the number one position with the WBO. So he'll get his mandatory shot and he'll get his world title. And Frank will try and win the purse. He'd bring it. And, you know, that's how he does it. He's got his model and it works. But so therefore, you know, a promoter being particularly strong with a sanctioning body doesn't really bode well for transparency and fairness or, or, or for the casual fan to be able to keep track of because it doesn't... You know, but so, so the Ring Magazine title was seen and the Ring Magazine rankings were seen as the, the fairest and the truest. But with Golden Boy buying into the buying the ring magazine i think it lost its standing a little bit with that people start to think well it's you know but you know you don't have to go boxing money is even ruined and corrupted governments you know like governments are meant to represent the electorate the person who votes but they're not they're representing the people the lobbyists who put them into power and paid for the campaign so they're not you know if 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 the if everyday people and living life in politics can't can't get over money and and and, and have more money poisons and corrupts everything, how's boxing going to get out of it? And like you say, we don't have the World Cup or the Super Bowl. You know, we have the WBA and the IBF and WBC, but of course these are these are these are companies, these are robot people, these are money. Do you know, so it's like I I just think it's so boxing's got. It was, do you know what? It, it, it's so messy and so fragmented, but it, and it was messy and it was fragmented in the nineties and it was and the two thousands and a little bit with HBO. But at least when HBO were by far above and beyond the paymasters, that that you know we had a bit of a chance that they would eventually get the best fight and the best. When nowadays with the PBC, he wants to keep everything over there. He he doesn't want to recognise anything out of the BBC. Al Heyman, you know, uh, the zone almost don't want to mention other champions. It's like, it, it, it's gone mental, really. It's just gone, it's, 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 it's at a, an unprecedented level of chaos, I think. Well, you said it. I mean, money corrupts. And one of the reasons government doesn't function as well as it should now is because of all the vested interests that have taken control of government. Same thing in boxing. Uh, boxing, we're talking about the fact that boxing isn't satisfying the fans now. It's not a healthy sport. And uh, the business as a whole has to somehow come to an understanding that, that a better run business means money for more money for all of them. And it's not when you do rankings, and again, this goes back to the, the system that you participated in, Matthew, that, I mean, to ra ranking shouldn't be getting 10 guys who each sit down with a beer or a cup of tea or whatever, and they say, okay, these are the top 10 middleweights. This is how I'm going to rank them. Because, you know, the next day they could come up with a completely different list. If you say, how would this guy do against this guy? It really forces you to think and rank. I mean, if I'd make a list of 10 heavyweights and I say, okay, now, and I can ask you right now, how, if AJ fights Joe Joyce tomorrow, 
which we understand isn't going to happen. But if AJ fought Joe Joyce tomorrow, Matthew, who would win that fight? Uh, a tough one. I think I think I'd probably favor AJ right now. Experience. And you've got that's one win for AJ, and then you go through. You know, I'd AJ. say Joyce, for example. There, I'd say Joyce. Okay. And 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 then suppose uh, AJ fights Wilder. How do you two guys come down on that fight? Jeez, I don't know. Probably well, that's a hard one. I'd probably say probably Wilder. 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 Okay, and 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 I'd agree with you. So you know, the point is, if you get. 36 guys. I mean, you guys are both knowledgeable guys. And also, I might add that of these 36, some people will have vested interests. A matchmaker works for a promoter. And what you do is either you work with a person who has integrity, who's going to do it honestly, or you say to the person, look, uh, I'm not going to ask you to choose this fight because you have too much of a vested interest in it and will have a weighted at it average of the others to fill in uh but you know again you do that with the heavyweights you could have credible heavyweight rankings now i again i think if you took the and I, no, let me ask you before that even wilder Usyk, who, who do you guys think wins i think wilder i thought oh, that's a difficult one i've never really thought about that one for, for some reason um I, I, I'd probably go the other way on that. I'd, I'd probably say Usyk. Okay, so you know, what we have here, you know... It... Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. If you're a representative, and I assume you're going to pick Tyson Fury over anybody right now, yeah. I think so, yes. Yeah. You know, the way these rankings are going to fill out is probably uh, Death Fury will be the number one heavyweight in the world. Uh, my guess is that Wilder's going to wind up at number two, Usyk three, probably Joshua four, but he's going to be pushed from below. You know, you could throw Jarrell Miller back in the rankings now for good measure. The point is, you get credible rankings and you also get some great storylines because you can say well out of our 36 electors you know on wilder Usyk, and i'm making these numbers up you know 24 thought wilder would win 12 thought Usyk would win you get credible rankings and that's your basis for what follows so you need to the one you have to have a credible ranking system and then you need the people in power who, in large measure, are the networks to adopt it. Yeah, I mean, I do think we always have to be optimistic about, about, about the future of the sport. Realistic, but also optimistic. I'm very kind of glass half full. I like to think I'm quite realistic about how the world works. And as Matt said, you know, you have self-interested corruption and just flat out greed, basically, in every corner of 
of every infrastructure of every institution anywhere. Um, but it doesn't mean that at some point you can't have a situation where people aren't willing to, to work together um, just, a, just a little bit more. One thing I do think that maybe people need, I know you're, you're just about to say something there, Matt, and, and Thomas, you both touched on it earlier, which is that boxing is a very unique business. And whilst networks are still interested in it because it makes them money, I do really think, and this might, maybe they've got one, I don't know, but I do really think you need, if you can spare one, a dedicated boxing guy, because dealing with boxing is not the same as dealing with football or dealing with cricket. When it comes to rights acquisitions, when it comes to logistics, it's all completely different. And I could never expect someone who's come through, say, football, to understand it. It's impossible. Would you say that's right, Matt? To, 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 get, to get the best out of it, you probably need a dedicated boxing person at the network who really no, gets boxing, like Lou Bella did, for example. Look, you need someone working for the TV network that knows the business of boxing. Not, you know, it's all right having, because TV people know TV, no, no television, that's great. You know, but you need someone that knows, if you're going to have a deal, if you're going to be dealing with people within boxing, you need someone batting for you that knows, understands the business of boxing, that understands these personalities, the characters, the do's and the don'ts, and, and, and preferably somebody that's got relationships with people, that can get on with people, but that isn't corrupt. He's not aligned with anyone. He's not corrupt. He's, he, he's, he's batting for Sky, because we say Sky now in the UK, or HBO, and so his, his allegiance is to the network, but he knows the business of boxing. He's been involved in boxing like as, a, as a fighter or as a promoter or as a manager or whatever. And he gets it and understands it. And he, he, he navigates through all... He, he, he has the relationships then. He deals with these guys because TV people know TV. You know, the guy was his skipper who did the deal with The Zone and then Canelo with the contract. But then they didn't stipulate that he had to fight Golovkin for the third fight. That was not written into the contract. Like, I mean, no boxing guy... Would have let that contract happen, but well, that was a TV guy. So you've got to, if you know, if TV, if television has spent a fortune on the boxing, well, then make sure you've got someone on your payroll that's a that's that's uh, loyal to the TV network that understands all, how the sharks of boxing work. Yeah, HBO made that mistake once in their long-term contract with Roy Jones. Uh, and again, Seth Abraham and Lou DiBella did a fantastic job over there. But they wanted Roy. They thought Roy was the best fighter in the world, which he probably was. And they were of the view that, well, you know, Roy Jones in and of himself is good TV. And I think they also felt that Roy, with his competitive spirit, would seek out the most difficult opposition. But he did. He took on challenges, but uh, there was a period where he didn't take on the challenges. And that hurt HBO. But yeah, you know, you said you need a boxing guy, somebody who understands business, but also somebody who understands boxing and whose first loyalty is to the network, which by exclusion then means a loyalty to the fans and the sport. Actually, Sky did a great one of those. You, you might not know about this one, Thomas. They did a great one with Eubank in the mid-90s when they got Eubank over onto Sky. He was a huge name at the time, and Sky was quite new. And they signed this deal. And this would have been signed by, by, by a TV guy um, where he was contracted to fight eight times in 12 months. Never, ever, ever going to happen. Ever. 
But, you know, Eubank signed that and took the check because he knew it was never going to happen. He was never going to have to fight eight times in a year. Um, and that, that's just, that's a good example of, of, of what you were talking about. Just one more before we let you go uh, and just moving slightly away from what we've talked about. Cause I think we've, I think we've got into it in good depth, but this is one with a bit of a, a slant for the UK, a kind of transatlantic one. Macklin might have to plead the fifth, if that's quite the right phrase on this one, to an extent. But so we'll see. But I'll, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask you first, Thomas. Just before the pandemic, like kind of like 2019, what we were hearing over here was that Top Rank were coming to the UK, that they were going to set up and they were going to do maybe four to six shows a year in the UK. And at that time, they kind of had their tie up with with Frank Moore, Frank Warren and therefore BT, but we had Loma over fighting Luke Campbell on Sky at the end of August, and that went really, really well. And the thing they could see, wow, like, you know, you can sell out an arena for, for a guy from the northeast of England against the Ukrainian. You know, this place is really, really buzzing because, you know, it, it was it was the UK at the time, and it still is now. Is that appetite still there, do you think, for, for top rank? Are they still kind of looking a little bit enviously over the Atlantic and just thinking they got Josh Taylor, they you know, Michael Conlon, I think his deal's up soon, but they've got a few others. Are they are they are they still do you think that's still a strategy for them? My sense is that top rank is institutionally tired at the moment. They still have some marquee fighters. Uh they they can still do fights uh, all over the world with the right partner. But um, my sense is that uh, the people in charge of top rank would like to sell now. Uh, I don't know that anybody's willing to buy uh, because really, what is the value of a promotional company? You've got really, it's, it's in its TV contract. Uh, sure, you have fighter contracts, but a lot of these fighters' contracts now are very onerous. Top rank has a great, great film library, as does Don King, you know, as does main events, but the value of those libraries has dropped enormously in recent years. Uh, so you know, I don't know what we can see in a meaningful way from top rank. You, you, have, you constantly have people coming in and, and they're briefly watched. Oh, you know, it was DAZN is gonna take over boxing. Then Triller came in with this, you know, enormous purse bid for the Lopez Cambosis fight. And for a couple of months, everybody was watching Triller to see what they would do. People were watching, you know, MTK to see what was going to happen there. And really, nobody has been able to take over boxing. I don't think anybody will be able to take over boxing, but it would be nice to see the people who are putting up the money put it up more wisely and also the people in the industry to work cooperatively together more than they are. Yeah. So Matt, yeah. What, what, what say you, sir, on the, uh, on the, on the top right front, like I say, this, we might be, this, this could be top secret sky business that I'm, that I'm inquiring about here, but you know, I know you, you know, you're very well connected everywhere basically, but it did, didn't it? In, in two, if you can't talk about it, it's fine. But in 2019, it really did look like they were looking at us over here and thinking, if we can do the O2 for Luke Campbell against Vasily Lomachenko, let's get our lads over here because this is, this is a good place to be. Yeah. Well, look, I think, I think, you know, the world has become a smaller place, hasn't it? Everyone's connected, social media, WhatsApp, you know, every, you know, it's, or, or there were anyway, prior to the, the pandemic, uh, obviously, Eddie had kind of gone over to the US with his DAZN deal, 
So I think top rank were looking across and thinking, okay, well, you know, we signed Michael Conlon, we've got Josh Taylor, you know, we, you know, they came over with Lomachenko, you know, so yeah, I think they were looking over the pond and, and, and thinking, can we, can we come over there? Can we secure a TV deal? So, you know, and they did, they did a show, you know, I know it was boxer were involved, but Catrell, Josh Taylor, that was a top rank show. Um, so yeah, I'd imagine that's, they, they have a relationship with Sky. Um, that, that, I, I think that's something that could definitely grow. Yeah, agreed. Agreed, and and I think it'd be really interesting. Really interesting if it if it did. I mean, you know, it's um, I, did, I hope this doesn't sound in poor taste because it's not it's not meant to at all. But when I look at somebody, when the Queen passed a few weeks ago, and Macklin's looking fearful here as to where where this is going. <laughs> what was undeniable about it was that she was a living link with with history that for most people is is decades past. Uh, she was there when things happened that were decades past. Um, and for that reason, she's a kind of true historical figure, global, true global historical figure. I thought about our sport of boxing because, you know, that's what I do pretty much all the time. And I think about Bob Arum in those kinds of terms because he was involved in stuff that for me was the dim and distant past, but his folklore, he's 93 years old. He can't go on forever and you know the sport will change maybe quite significantly when when characters like bob and don king are no longer with us and that can't be too far in the future you know thomas you're you're a historian of the sport you know it's it's it just got me thinking and i know that's a bizarre tangent to kind of fly off to um towards the end but sometimes we don't really understand what we've got with people whilst they're here well, for, I, th I think you added, a, Bob is over 90, but I think you added a few years to his age. And of course, yeah. Don, Don isn't a factor anymore in terms of the, the, the power structure of boxing. Uh, Bob has a much better infrastructure at top rank and is that there have always been great promoters who passed from the scene. You go back to Tex Rickard, who many people regard as, as, as the man who invented modern boxing, so to speak. Uh, Bob Arum and Don King made extraordinary contributions to the sport. Uh, not all of them were positive, but uh, certainly they're, they're titans. Other people can come in and take their place. But again, you know, it's the, 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 the fights are no, it's no longer about the fights generating the funds to pay for them. It's, it's about who can we get to invest in this and, uh, and people not getting back their investments and the public not seeing the fights they want to see. And if I'm going to look at Don King and Bob Arum, one thing they did was they gave the public the fights the public wanted to see. They despised each other, but they found a way to work together to give the public Oscar De La Hoya against Felix Trinidad, because that's what promoters did. They promoted good fights and they, they gave the public what the public wanted rather than telling the public, oh, this is a great fight, you'll love this. Yeah, and just to be clear, I, I wasn't trying to, uh, 
I'm not trying to hasten either of those two uh, more quickly towards the exit. In fact, I've just uh, compared them both to, to British royalty. So if anything, Bob, Don, if you're listening, it was... It was it, 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 treasured past. Yeah, absolutely. It was a compliment. It was 100% a compliment. What have you made of all of this Fury AJ stuff, Thomas, just, just peering at it from, from, from New York City? It's, it's been a bit kind of bewildering. I, I, it, it's not just Fury and AJ. I am so tired. You know, boxing is the only sport where making the schedule is a story for days and weeks on end. And you you, you just, you, you go to a website and it's, you know, so-and-so says, I will kick this person's butt. And this guy's afraid to fight me. And I'm promising this and I'm going to do that. You know, just, I mean, make the fights, you know, and they don't, they don't. And it's not just Fury and AJ, it's across the board. How long have we been waiting for Terence Crawford and Errol Spence now, which is still a good fight, but it's past its sell-by date. How long did we wait for Canelo Golovkin three? And by the time we got it, you know, Gennady just wasn't ready to put out the kind of effort he did in the first two. I mean, you know, stop with this nonsense, you know, just, Make the fights. Tell us when you've made the fights. Okay. No other sport. I've see, seen a couple of tweets, Thomas, on, on Twitter. I don't know who it was. And they were saying how, you know, when Thomas Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard fought each other the first time, I think it was Hearns 22 and Leonard was 24, something like that. Or could it be younger? Yeah. You know, that was the first one. And I, by the time they had their third fight, I think they were still younger than what Crawford and Spence are now. Yeah. Um, I think they fought twice, was it? Leonard and Duran fought three times. Leonard and Hearns twice. But yeah. Sorry, yeah, Leonard, yeah. Leonard Hearns is what makes this sport great. Their first fight was certainly, I wasn't at it live. I watched it on closed circuit. But that, that was one of the best fights that I or anybody else has ever seen you know and 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 promoters work together to make it happen hmm. they don't do that anymore yeah leonard's always the kind of go-to for me because i, I worked it out once it, you know, it wasn't a great feat of mathematics but when he won the title against benitez and if you include that fight in the space of 22 months he has seven fights benitez duran twice hearns three what you might describe as more regulation title defenses so that's Boxing once every three months. And that, you know, for a massive hitter who was an Olympic gold medal, sponsored up to his eyeballs, you know, that's what we would love to see. That's what we would love to see. But um, we will actually let you go now because uh, you've been very generous uh, with your time. And we'll get you back on. Um, we won't leave it as long next time because the last time was in the TikTok uh, across the road from Madison Square Garden before... Anthony Joshua against Andy Ruiz, which which seems like a, a really long time ago now, but what a week that was. It was it was absolutely sensational. And we came away from the garden that night, me and Matt, and people might have thought that we'd have been, you know, about to chuck ourselves into the Hudson because we were working for Sky and, and Anthony lost. But you're just euphoric and just high as a kite on the adrenaline of the event. And and that, you know, it's it's nights like that. When I get a little bit down on boxing, and I don't much. I think about nights like that and uh, nights like the one I had at York Hall the other night with the two area title fights. And you know that this sport can just, you know, it can take you places. Um, interestingly, Matt, 
Uh, this won't mean anything to you, Thomas, at all. Apologies. I got a Facebook request this week, friend request from Wally Dixon. <laughs> now, Wally Dixon, Thomas, figured in uh, an earlier podcast we did with John Pegg, who's a renowned boxing figure over here, much loved. Um, and he was the centre of a very entertaining story he told us about uh, a kind of Benny Hill-type sketch scene where everybody was chasing the promoter around at the end of the night of a small hall show to try and get paid. Um, uh, and how he had to turn up in a motorway lay-by once to, to receive his money for his matchmaking. And, and, and it was Wally, so... I might use as a cue to try and to try and to try and get hold of him. So anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, we will be back next week. I'm going to put us under pressure by saying that we're going to pick up a few next week because we're on the build up for Shields against Marshall again, and it'll be a good opportunity for us to just clamp ourselves to that. Uh, put out a couple, maybe, maybe even three. Who knows? Um, but it's great to be back. Uh, this is the first month we've been back, and, and the numbers are kind of building back up again. Not that. That was ever really what this was about. Um, thanks for all the messages, everybody. Have a good week, and we'll catch you again next time. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.